Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, let us see in the resurrection the hope that you have given to us. Let us know this truth for certain. And let us stand on the rock, the only rock that there is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see divisions around us today, everywhere. But this is nothing new, the us and them. In fact, the Jews had a word for them, Gentiles. Greeks had a word we still use today, barbarians. I'm sure many others had words for the them that they saw separate from the us. Although this is nothing new, we might have more ways to divide ourselves now than ever before. We divide ourselves by our gender, ethnicity, age, by our politics, sexuality, religion, by our regions, social groups, and social economic class. There seem to always be and always has been an us and a them way to divide people. Maybe not since the Tower of Babel have people been united as one, but even then there was an us and a them, people and God. Diversity is not bad. In fact, diversity is good, and we know from Revelations it is something we will celebrate as people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship before the throne of God. However, we often take diversity and form divisions to make groups we belong to and groups we don't belong to. We create labels to know who is on our team and who isn't on our team. The worst of these divisions appear in the church, the body of Christ, where diversity should exist, but divisions shouldn't. There should only exist an us in the body of Christ. But unfortunately, we have done our best to create thems. We have Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestants. We have followers of Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and Cranmer and others. This doesn't just create a diversity of thought that would benefit the body, but divisions and separations and often in us versus them. The lectionary has put us in 1 Corinthians 15, the great passage on the resurrection from Paul for the month of February. I will attempt to set up some context for the rest of the time that we have in this passage. In the church of Corinth, there were divisions as well. In his first letter to the Corinthians, one of Paul's major themes in his letter is divisions, which separate the body rather than build it up. Right at the start of his letter, after he greets the church and gives thanks for them, he addresses these divisions. In chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He returns to the theme after telling them in chapter 2 that they were not chosen because of any worldly merit. In chapter 3, he tells them 
he could not address them as spiritual people and ask them, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In chapter 4, he tells the Corinthians that all of the apostles are servants and messengers of Christ. He reminds them that, uh, of what they had received in Christ, that they re- have become rich, wise, strong, and honored in Christ. He reminds them that this is uh, of this, that they would not boast and go beyond what they have received or pit one of the apostles against another. After Paul deals with some other issues in the church in chapters 5 through 10, he returns to the issues of divisions again in chapter 11. There are not just divisions, but factions in the church. The meal instituted by Christ that is meant to unite his body, to feed his people with the spiritual food of his body and blood, the Corinthians are using it to divide themselves. This is why Paul tells them to discern the body, And if they continue to eat and drink in these divisions, they will continue to eat and drink condemnation to themselves. In fact, because they are doing this in factions, some have become ill and some have even died. They are wrongly using the meal that is meant to build the body up as a place to tear it down and split the body. And they are suffering for it. In chapter 12, Paul talks about how each person in the body is necessary for the good of each other. We have been all been given different gifts to be used for the benefit of the body, and not any part of the body is more important than any other. Paul describes this body of Christ in verses 21 through 27. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul then goes on to describe the love that we are to have towards one another in the body in the well-known chapter 13. He describes the love in which Christ loves us. This is the love with which we should love one another. This kind of love has no room for divisions, but celebrates the different gifts, the different parts of the body, as this is a humble love, not a selfish, self-serving love. This is an inclusive love that looks at each member of the body and sees the body of Christ. This is a love that looks to join and not separate, that looks to build up and not tear down. It is a beautiful picture of love, uncorrupted by sin and death, a love that can only flow through us when we are connected to Christ in Christ's body. Before we get to our verses in the beginning of chapter 15, 
Paul discusses the gifts of prophecy and tongues and urges the Corinthians to desire the gifts that are used to build up the body rather than just the individual. He then turns to the, the verses we have heard today. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It is the gospel message that Paul preached to them and that we have received as well and that we must hold fast to. We must stand in the good news which we have received. We must hold fast to this good news because there is no other good news. All other news that is not the gospel will fail us. It will not hold us up. It is a sinking sand and a false hope. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the good news of the gospel this way, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We will repeat this in a fuller confession after the sermon in the words of the Nicene Creed. We will also repeat this in the middle of the communion liturgy as we are reminded each week of the gospel story, how God came to rescue us and make all things new. We will state the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ, will ris- Christ will, has risen. Christ will come again. We remind ourselves of this in the middle of the communion liturgy to unite us in mind and belief before we partake in the great meal which unites us through the body and blood of our Savior, our Lord Jesus, into the one body, the body of Christ. Paul reiterates to the Corinthians that the resurrected Lord appeared to many after his death and rising, to again remind them that the resurrection of the Lord is a sure and witnessed truth. He tells them, he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Jesus' resurrection did not happen in secret. His resurrection was witnessed by many people who profess he is the Lord. Jesus' resurrection was not some mass hallucination, because not only did he appear to many people, but he appeared to them at many different times. In Luke 24, 34, we read the witness of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus to the other disciples, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon, Cephas. Right after that, Jesus appeared to the disciples who heard the report from the two, as we are told in Luke 24, 36, as they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Then he appeared to all the apostles in Luke 24, 50-51, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And in Acts 1, 3, Luke tells us he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And lastly, as Paul mentions, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, 3-6. Now as he, Paul, 
went on his way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. These are just some of the recorded witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus in the scriptures. We can be certain that he died and he rose again, for there is a great cloud of witness to this truth. Jesus' resurrection has not only been witnessed right after it happened, but even after his ascension to the throne room, he appears to Paul. He still appears to people today. We hear news of brothers and sisters in the hard places, places where the church is small or non-existent yet, whom Christ has visited. This is our hope. Not only did Christ die, he rose. He died for our sins and rose again, defeating death. He has gone before us in our death to cleanse us of our sins and to conquer death in his resurrection, that in him we should rise too. This is the good news. Christ is alive. He has conquered death. We are not becoming united as the body of the dead man. We are being united, grafted, shaped into the living body of Christ who rose from the dead and conquered death. Christ's resurrection is good news because it means the ultimate victory is certain. Our hope is not in ourselves. It is not in our merits, our right thinking, our correct behavior. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Our hope in our salvation in Christ, in who he is, in what he has done, and in what he is doing in each of us, by the power of his resurrection, in uniting us to himself. There is no room for division in Christ's body, because there is only one body. When you think of how you define yourself, how you label yourself, first and foremost, you are Christ's. As Paul says in his letters to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, our divisions become a beautiful mosaic of diversity. One body united by the good news of what he has done for each one of us. In his death and resurrection, he has bought us, bought you with a great price. As Paul told the Corinthians earlier in chapter 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. This is the victory of the resurrection. This is the good news of the resurrection. This is where our hope lies, in the living Savior who has overcome sin and selfishness and in humility and love walked through the valley of death, conquering sin and rising as the first fruits of a new creation. Do not let the enemies of Christ, sin, death, and Satan, create divisions amongst us in this local body or Christ's global body. Let no factions grip you 
to wound the body. Hold fast to the good news, what Christ has done for you, for us, because he loves you. He loves us, his body. When we get to the part of the service today where we state the mystery of our faith, let it bring you hope today and every day. Christ has risen. Christ has died. Christ will come again. Say it today and every day with hope. That is the good news that unites us together as Christ's body. Know this then and let your hearts be comforted. Christ has died for his body. Christ has risen for his body. Christ will come again for his body. Christ has died for you. Christ has risen for you. And Christ will come again for you. Amen.